Hi, I'm Nora, and I love church. Reformed Baptist churches are just, in general, very, very heavy on theology. And so because of that, I just, like, I got just, like, doused with all of it. Um, and I'm very grateful for that because... I have so much scripture memorized, like, you know, so much like theology just packed into this brain of mine. Cause you know, not because, you know, I happen to be special in any way, but just because children happen to be sponges and they suck things up and you know, they're here I am. Um, so um, I'm, you know, absorbed a lot of um, the, I guess, theological, um, I guess, teaching in that context. And I'm very grateful for it because it really provided me a solid understanding of my faith. And in many ways, I think saved my faith. Um, and that's kind of where the tension comes in because at the same time as receiving such, you know, a great foundation, um, there was, and, you know, is in, in many churches, um, a lot, a lot of um, anti-gay, anti-queer, anti-LGBTQ um, sentiment and teaching and assumptions that just kind of were often just kind of woven into things. Um, I, I really don't think there was ever any explicit teaching on homosexuality or anything like that, but you know, it just gets woven in to things, you know. Yeah, defund the church, rebuild the kingdom, ain't no doubt Time to wake up because the church walls shouldn't be there to keep people out Yeah, let's come together, ready for change, now is the time We are one unit that is under God, let's put an end to the racial divide uh, I gotta scream it out louder, let's rebuild the kingdom from the ground up Bringing unity in the community and keep the Holy Spirit all around us Yeah, yeah, defund the church, let's go this is going to be part two of our interview with Bridget Eileen Rivera. I hope you enjoy it. If you haven't already, go back and listen to part one. That way you'll really enjoy the second part. But thank you for listening. Enjoy. What was the subtitle of the book again? Seven Ways LGBTQ Christians Experience Harm in the Church. Mm, that's good. That's good. So real, real quick, just we we got more time, right? We're not wrapping up, are we, Frank? Okay, because I got a couple more questions here. Oh, right. I like I, well, you like you were to like plug your book. I'm like, we got more time. I want. To. I just I just wanted her to to to, to make to, sure, just, yeah, yeah, to make sure she did that because, man, this she's got she's got a lot. So I just wanted. It's her gonna. To I think this out. is gonna be a really good resource, though. I will say, one of the struggles I have is like resources that I can share with non-affirming pastors who I know are very far from crossing a line to becoming affirming. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? But mm -hmm. need something to get them wrestling with this subject. And I think your book could really be something that at least invites them into the le legitimacy mm -hmm. of the conversation, because a mm -hmm. lot of them that aren't in relationship with LGBTQ plus people, they're not recognizing that there's a legitimate conversation to be had here. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, Justin Lee's book torn has su been super helpful. Um, uh, God and the gay Christian have been uh, super helpful to kind of hand to people, mm -hmm. but I do think those all land on a particular place. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And, 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 and I think uh, your traditional se sexual ethic, uh, I think it's going to do a lot to hopefully help people move in that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think moving toward inclusion, even while you keep your own sexual ethic 
mm-hmm. the, the the church if the church could do that we would be such a safer mm-hmm. place such a better place and 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 i think i'm very interested to read your book when it comes out um when you said like the 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 contraceptive contraceptive it like made me think of the story of onan which like most mm-hmm. people don't even know in the bible that story mm-hmm. and it's like the sin here was exactly what you just referenced right yeah. like that that yeah. was the sin and yeah. that sin was like like it was seen as like a very terrible thing. And like, it was a terrible thing because he was supposed to provide offspring and he didn't. Mm -hmm. And like, and like that story, I mean, and I'm not saying that we should be anti-contraception necessarily. (laughs) Which I'm not saying either. I want to clarify that. (laughs) But the, 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 the point is, the point is we don't use scripture in the way that we use scripture. Well, here's the interesting thing we don't use scripture in a way that would affect the overwhelming majority of our community. That's probably mm-hmm. the way to say it in a, in a, yeah. in a negative or derogatory way. Yeah. When it's, when it's a shadow community that lives on the fringes, mm-hmm. we can have that kind of um, yeah. lack of, I, I think, um, biblical microscope to really look at what's happening and what's being said. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about traveling nun. Why did you choose that name? Are you, are, would you consider yourself like, um part of the monastic movement in some way or like what 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 uh what made you choose the name traveling nun that's that's kind of curious to me yeah i guess the motivations behind the name i don't it kind of came from a multitude of different places uh i started the blog almost 10 years ago now um and it was a uh, re-release of a prior blog that I had, um, but a new name, new look, all of that sort of stuff. Um, And I uh, guess I picked Traveling Nun as a name because it just really seemed to fit my life trajectory and where I was going in life. And um, as a Protestant, Protestantism doesn't really have a monastic tradition, not a very strong one, at least. There are some monastic communities and, you know, certain pockets here and there, but it's not really a developed kind of thing in any way, shape or form. And um, I have always kind of been drawn to that way of life. Um, and so I, I felt as if that name just really kind of encapsulated a lot of things that were on my heart, a lot of ways in which the, the direction of my life was, was taking. Um, I also, you know, when I started the blog was just feeling very um, uprooted, um, you know, very not, not having roots anywhere, not being settled anywhere, kind of, you know, almost wandering and, Um, I was living in a brand new city and didn't know where life was going to be taking me next and um, kind of thinking about how, you know, all of life in this earth is, you know, one big journey Mm. and it's, you know, all of us are travelers. We're all, you know, on route towards a destination. an eternal destination much farther out. And, you know, none of us are necessarily home mm-hmm. just yet. And we're all, we're all travelers. Um, and so, you know, all of those things were kind of going on in my mind and, um, you know, kind of just led to me settling on that name. That's awesome. So, so you grew up in 
the Protestant church then? Is that, that what you said? That's any, correct. Any, any particular denomination or do you not want to say it's okay if you don't want to like call out your particular denomination? Or... No, that's okay. I, I, I grew up reformed Baptist. Oh, Most okay. people know, cause I've, I've talked about it, but yeah, I grew up pre predominantly reformed Baptist, but I, I was kind of here and there, but for the most formative years of my life, it was in a Reformed Baptist denomination. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Would you, can you share a little bit about what it was like coming into your awareness of your sexuality, being in that context as I would assume a teenager or a young adult, like as you started coming into that space, like how was that received? What, what's some of what you experienced in the church? Cause clearly this book is coming out of a place of experience that you have personally, I would assume mm -hmm. with the church, but also experience that you've heard from others as they've, you know, mm -hmm. um, yep. experienced the, the trauma of the church of, of, of this. So like, not that I'm necessarily saying share with us your deepest, darkest trauma, but I guess I'm just saying like, <laughs> share a little bit about what that process was like um, coming aware of, you know, your same sex attraction while also being in a context that not only didn't affirm that, but almost like that, that would clearly put you on the outs right away. Right. Like, mm -hmm. That's a tough, that's a tough reality to process. Yeah. You know, I, when I think about my Christian context and the like theological milieu that I was brought up in, um, you know, I always have this very kind of divided feeling toward the very, you know, a lot of tension because I, on the one hand, am, you know, very grateful for the way that I was raised, for the theological education that I received. And, you know, if anyone's familiar with Reformed Baptist churches, they are very, very heavy on the doctrine and the theology and like studying, you know, biblical hermeneutics and like, you know, getting into all the debates and, you know, exegetical, you know, discussions and, you know, like Reformed Baptist churches are just in, in general, very, very heavy on theology. And so because of that, I just like, I got just like doused with all of it. Um, and I'm very grateful for that because I have so much scripture memorized, like, you know, so much like theology just packed into this brain of mine. Cause you know, not because, you know, I happen to be special in any way, but just because children happen to be sponges and they suck things up and you know, there, here I am. Um, so, um, I'm, you know, absorbed a lot of, um, the, I guess, theological, um, I guess, teaching in that context. And I'm very grateful for it because it really provided me a solid understanding of my faith. And in many ways, I think saved my faith. Um, and that's kind of where the tension comes in because at the same time as receiving such, you know, a great foundation, um, there was, and, you know, is in, in many churches, um, a lot, a lot of um, anti-gay, anti-queer, anti-LGBTQ um, sentiment and teaching and assumptions that just kind of were often just kind of woven into things. Um, I, I really don't think 
there was ever any explicit teaching on homosexuality or anything like that, but, you know, it just gets woven in to things, you know, comments here and comments there. And, um, it, you know, winds up kind of, you know, planting itself upon you. Um, and you absorb that along with everything else. And so, you know, because of that, you know, I absorbed a lot of very, um, toxic ways of thinking about LGBTQ people. And as a result, absorbed a lot of toxic ways of thinking about myself. I didn't realize that that was happening, but that's what was happening. Um, and so when I discovered that I was queer, when I discovered that I was a lesbian, all of a sudden, all of these negative narratives that I had heard about the gay community, all of a sudden they applied to me. Um, and so now I had to actually battle with what I had been taught to believe about the gay community and what I had been taught to believe about the gospel and God's word. Um, and it's you know really interesting because what my Christian upbringing had taught me to believe about the gospel and God's word and um, Jesus Christ, like just did not, it went to war against what I was taught to believe about gay people. Um, and, you know, it really caused a crisis of faith. And I, you know, am very grateful um, that, you know, through prayer and, um, you know, God's grace that I was able to arrive at a place where the gospel superseded the, um, you know, toxic narratives that I had been given about gay people. And um, really the gospel corrects, you know, all of those narratives. Um, like you, you cannot believe that gay people are inherently sinful um, if you accept the truth of the gospel message. Um, you can't, you know, uh, believe that God has just like that gay people have, have just crafted them for hell and death and destruction, um, that they are inherently enemies of the Christian church, which, you know, are all kind of things that I had been, you know, implicitly led to believe. You can't believe those things when you believe the gospel. And, you know, a lot of people hold those beliefs at the same time together because they've never really stopped to think about how one cancels out the other. And at some point you're gonna have to choose. Are you going to cling to homophobia or are you going to cling to the gospel? Um, and so, you know, for me, I am glad that the gospel um, overcame the internalized homophobia that I had in my life. Um, but, you know, it's not always a happy ending for many people. Um, and that's one of the things that I do talk about in my book is the high, high rates of suicide yeah. um, that LGBTQ people have in the church um, and the ways and studies have shown that when people are more involved in their faith, um, when LGBTQ people are more involved in their faith, their rate of suicide goes up. Uh, when it goes down for everybody else, but for LGBTQ people, when they are heavily involved in their faith, their rate of suicide goes up. And that to me is a tragedy and it should not be that way. Um, and I think the, the gospel 
is uh, like a, a church community where the gospel reigns and the gospel establishes the atmosphere is one that does not have room for things like suicide and mental health issues, depression, anxiety, and things like that. When you are allowing the gospel to reign in your community, then mental health struggles and anguish and depression is not going to be a byproduct of your Christian community. Mm. No, that's, that's so good. That's so incredibly good. I, uh, I think, what do you think about the church being, so the church for a long time has been like heteronormative, obviously, but I would also say society's heteronormative, right? Like, I mean, in general, uh, but, but you had mentioned Freud and, and this kind of transition from, from um, how we see ourselves. And I guess what I'm, what I, what I'd be curious to, to think, and, and I'm asking as a pastor, I'm, I'm actually, this is a podcast, but I'm trying to get educated. Do you, do you think the church needs to, I mean, how do we balance being less heteronormative in the sense of for, for the purposes of inclusion and how do we go about practicing that while also, and, and not that I'm necessarily interested in a traditional biblical sexual ethic, that's not where I land on this, but, but if a church does want to continue holding a traditional um, biblical se se sexual ethic, but also wants to consider how they've how their heteronormative normativity within the context of community mm -hmm. is maybe in its in itself alienating people mm -hmm. how how have you seen that and what what can you speak to about some practices or ways that that might be transformed in our churches yeah oh man like it's it's kind of like where to begin yeah, um, yeah. i mean there's so many places that I can start when it comes to heteronormativity but i feel as if probably the biggest place in um, conservative churches that hold to a traditional sexual ethic is um, assuming that homosexuality is a result of the fall mm. and heterosexuality is not. Um, and that right there, that belief <laughs> is the foundation for so many problems um, because it sets up this hierarchy of sexualities where people that are heterosexual are less fallen than people that are gay or lesbian or, you know, any, anything under the queer umbrella. Um, and it's a very strongly held belief that people very rarely question is this, I, like people will say that homosexuality is a result of the fall. They won't say that heterosexuality is not fallen, but it's implied <laughs> when they fixate on homosexuality as a result of the fall. The implication is that people don't believe that heterosexuality is equally fallen. Mm. Um, and it creates this, it creates this hierarchy where heterosexuality is somehow less sinful, somehow less fallen. People that are homosexual are just a little, their sexuality is just a little bit more sinful. Um, and uh, that's just it, inherently, it's just harmful. It just uh, really, it just messes people up. Um, and so that, that just needs to go. Um, and that's a big one, in my opinion, that needs to be tackled in um, churches that hold to a traditional 
standpoint, um, because if, if we believe that um, the effects of sin affect us all um, and that all of us are fallen, that means that heterosexuality is just as fallen as homosexuality. And people will say, well, well, I mean, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, if the fall had never happened, people would still be straight and people wouldn't be gay. And I'm kind of like, well, how do you know that? How do you know that that's the case? And I love Nate Collins. He brings this up in his book, All But Invisible. Um, where he says, like, if we're really going to talk about a non-fallen sexuality, like if, if you, if we're going to be consistent, and this is just speaking for, you know, from a traditional perspective, and if, if we believe that, you know, God has designed marriage for, you know, one man and one woman, then God's perfect sexuality would be a uni- monogamous heterosexuality. And nobody has that. Nobody is only ever attracted to one person for their entire life forever. Like that is not how it works. And so um, if, we're, if we're going to talk about like a perfect sexuality that is like only ever attracted to who you're supposed to be attracted to, it does not exist. Um, and so we need to get away from this like discussion of like, Oh, homosexuality is a result of the fall and oh my goodness. And, and talk about all of our sexualities is a result of the fall, but also all of our sexualities is part of our human experience and has avenues of grace that God gives us within them. And really, honestly, that's what we need to be dwelling upon is, is what avenues of grace is God giving us to live through our sexualities um, and that's, that's the more important thing to be dwelling on for all of us. So you said something very, very interesting. You said, you know, only being attracted to the person you're attracted to. And when, you, when I think about that, I think about pornography and I think about how that's affected, you know, when people think about, um, like you said, homosexuality being leveled down, I, I, I get these, I, you know, cause I, you know, I've seen pornography before. I don't watch it now, but, but like any, like most men I've watched it, I've seen it. And there are certain scenes in pornography and I'm not trying to gross you out, but there's a number of scenes where it's like, well, what's really going on here? There's a lot of people involved in here. What are we talking about? And so I guess what I'm saying is when you have this kind of lawlessness going on, it's how can you legislate it against one people? I, I, I get what you're saying. Sexuality of people is law has been fallen. It's lawless, but because maybe it hasn't manifest and people just have their thoughts about it, right? Like we have these magazines that you can look at, right? Well, I'm not really doing anything. Looking isn't cheating, right? There's even that mindset. There's a mindset among heterosexual men that, hey, I can look, but I didn't do anything. I come on to my mm -hmm. wife. But but the Bible says, if you look at a woman in her and, and have thoughts about her in your heart, you've committed that sin. So I think it's like very easy to look at the uh, homosexual community and say, well, because they're out there, they're so lawless, but you have the same lawless thoughts in your mind. So you're actually just in, in, same, in the same era. So I think, you know, when I think about this and I'm thinking about it from a standpoint of, I lead a small group in my church is, you know, how would I handle somebody who was um, in a same sex, same sex kind like, how would I, how would I handle that? How would I want to handle that? And I think that's something for me to think about. I don't even have the answer. But what I'm saying is it's so easy to say, we, we were so used to laying hands and praying it away that I think it does a disservice to, like you mentioned, God's grace, right? 
for dealing with things people are living with. Some people are, are, are out living with alcoholism, living with pornography, living with all these things until the day they die. And we say they're saved by God's grace. Yet, if you're, if you're gay, you need to, we need to cast that demon out of you. Otherwise, you're not going to be in. It's, it's just so, um, it's so easy I think, I think the reason why it's, it's, so, it's so easy to do that because the church has so many other problems, it can feel like it's fixed this thing. We don't have that. We don't do that. And, 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 and the thing is that the suicide rate is such a tragedy to me because the reason why some people, I've heard Christians say, oh, you know, this gay pride is so, is so out there. It's an equal and opposite reaction to the rejection the church has done mm -hmm. to the people in their community who, who they should be embracing. The ministry they should have, they've rejected. Now it's formed in something else. I can make the same, not uh, but not the same, but similar argument about social justice. People say, well, BLM, oh my God, it's Marxist, this and that. But for years in the church, you rejected, you mocked and said that this wasn't a thing. And then an organization came out that addressed the need and you complained about it. Mm -hmm. And I think the church is dealing with the same thing with the LGBT, LGBT, LGBTQ community. It doesn't mean you have to affirm everything, but it has. It means that you have to acknowledge that these things exist and they're under the same grace. Mm -hmm. And we don't do that. And yeah. so I just, I just, man, I'm just. This is giving me so much. And like I said, I I watched your interview, and it's crazy because you're saying even more. I thought you said a lot in that because like four part <laughs> interview. But man, I will say you're you're a scholar too, and and you said you're not special, but I actually disagree. Like, bro, you're special. You have a great knowledge. Like, you're not just here arguing on passion. There's so many YouTube people that's out there and they're arguing just this is how they feel. Mm -hmm. But you've lived it. You've had to go through through the process of saying, man, am I loved? Mm -hmm. Does God love me? And, he, and you heard back from me. He said, yes, mm -hmm. I do. Mm -hmm. and, and, and if anybody's taking their life and they don't believe God loves them, that is the biggest thing. That's what we should be most sad about. Mm -hmm. And I think we're not because we're, we're more concerned with the orderly orderly nature of the church hey we ain't got no gays in here you know mm -hmm. i ain't no little sissy leave me like that is stuff that i heard in the church growing up yeah. you know and, and, and yeah. those are and that's dangerous because it, it makes you like you said it makes you feel like you're in a hierarchy well yeah well hey you know it's okay if you look at pornography because you know at least you're attracted to women mm -hmm. right like it's okay that you have these playboy magazines this hustle whatever it is because mm -hmm. hey you're a, you're a red-blooded male, American man. Hey, you got to do what you got to do. Don't get married till you're ready. Wink, wink. So that basically, you're saying practice promiscuity and sexual sin until you're ready to settle down. Where does that even come from? Mm -hmm. But yet, this whole time, these, these homosexual people are wicked. I, I'm sorry, I'm going on a tangent. I just, I'm just saying this because I just, I just hope people watch this and realize that God is working in such a way in this season and if you have, if you hold to what you already already know, you don't let listen to see what he's doing in the kingdom, you're gonna miss it. Mm -hmm. And this is so powerful. So I just I'm celebrating, we're celebrating you. Um, and just just for your journey and for your courage and your wisdom, because it's not common and and and, and your grace too to say it, because you could be a lot more angry, you could be a lot more upset, and you could be even prideful by saying, Hey, I'm celibate. You're none of those things. And I'm not saying you're perfect, right? Because we all have sin. We all, no matter what, we need to have need for a savior. But what I'm saying is you are perfectly crafted for this journey. So I want to say, man, thumbs up. Like, I know you don't know me, but I'm, I'm impressed. And, and I'm so glad that um, we are having this chance to talk to you. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, that's really great. And you were about to say something, Justin. No, sorry. I was just going to say, I think, I think Frank, you, you expressed like 
the perfect like reality of a double standard. And I think that's the biggest struggle I have as have had as a pastor is mm-hmm. like the double standard. And then I'm supposed to be in a relationship with these people who I've been taught there's all kinds of barriers and limitations on belonging. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But then I'm in relationship with these other people that I'm literally seeing the outpouring of toxicity in their mm-hmm. life. Yeah. But they don't check the boxes that would in any way inhibit them to belong. And, mm-hmm. and, and look, each community has different boxes, but my mm-hmm. question is like, why do we have boxes that we're checking yeah. that, that limit, your ability to belong, you know, mm-hmm. in, in, in the faith community, I, I, at least outside of like toxic abusive boxes, like some of what we've decided to emphasize has been really difficult to, mm-hmm. to appreciate or even, you know, condone mm-hmm. um, just because I've seen the harm. And, and what's shocking is like when someone who has drug addiction comes into the church and I'm in no way comparing drug addiction to being queer, but I'm just saying, to take these two tracks of someone who has drug addiction comes into church, comes to find faith, the percentage like of added value to that person's life by having a faith journey, mm-hmm. like, like is statistically like can literally save their life. Mm-hmm. Like being part of a community where they belong, where they can find a higher power, connect to it, help them on their recovery journey. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And then you quote that, that reality. And I've actually heard statistical basis for there's higher suicide rates within the Christian community or within a faith community of any kind for, for LGBT people. And it's like, so you literally can take someone who's at rock bottom in their life with an, with an addiction, put them in the church and they'll find like a, a, a life raft. Like, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And then you, you, you do the same for someone in the LGBT community and the church like sinks them. Like it yeah. doesn't even, it, it's not even neutral. Mm-hmm. It doesn't send them a life raft and it actually weighs them down. And yeah. that's where I'm like, it's just, it's, it's been difficult because I was told it. Then I saw it. Then I was like, so frustrated by it. And now being on the other side of it, it's like, I just want to grab people and shake them. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like friends of mine, that are pastors or even people I know, but it's also like, I know that wouldn't have done it for me 10 years ago. You know what I mean? So like, what, Mm -hmm. what gives you, what gives you hope? Like, obviously you got a book coming out that hopefully will change some hearts and minds, but like you took the time to write this book. You took the time. You must have some kind of hope for the church. Like, tell us a little bit about what keeps you going. Maybe this is a good place to kind of land it. Like what, what's your hope that the church would look like in five, 10, 15 years, or what vision do you have? Yeah, I mean, I I do. I do have a lot of hope. And uh, the reason why I do is because of people like the two of you guys um, that are willing to have these conversations. I think that the number of people willing to talk about this and consider and wrestle just is growing by the day Mm -hmm. in leaps and bounds. And people know that things are not right. And people know that things need to change. They just don't necessarily know how or why or what. There's just like this kind of latent sense that things are wrong. And I think people are slowly beginning to wrestle and beginning to understand more. And so that gives me a lot of hope. And I, I, I also think that another thing that gives me a lot of hope is just 
looking at the history of the church and other debates that we have overcome in the past. And one that I often think about is um, the uh, doctrine of baptism, you know, because the doctrine of marriage is a really, you know, it's a big theological question, but, you know, baptism is a huge theological question. And um, Protestants were killing each other over it, you know, just a couple centuries ago. And we've somehow figured out a way to live at peace with each other and not be at each other's throats and calling each other heretics all the time. Um, and so in my opinion, if we can do that for a doctrine as big of a deal as baptism, then uh, we're going to figure out a way to get along and live at peace with each other for things like marriage um, and, and sexual ethics. We're, we're going to figure out a way. Um, it's just going to be a, a matter of time and it's going to take people um, listening to LGBTQ people and learning from that community. And um, it's, it's, going to, it's going to be a process, but um, I think it's happening. And I think it's, it's inevitable. It's just a matter of how long it takes. <laughs> Bridget, it's been great talking to you. This is, this is really good. I, you're, you're more hopeful than me. And I think referencing baptisms, uh, uh, it's an interesting thing to consider because that was, and in some circles still is, but for the large part, it is something that we've come to like be amicable about, especially when you consider, like you had said, we were killing people, not too, killing each other, not too long ago mm -hmm. over that. You know what I mean? That's, that's an interesting take. I mean, hopefully it won't require, uh, you know, a thousand plus new dom denominations in order for it to happen. <laughs> kind of like it's had to for yeah, about time, Yeah. Yeah. And same time, like, yeah. Yeah. I think, um, the answer isn't denominationalism. Yeah. Um, that's, that's one thing. I think denominationalism is not the answer. I think we've got to figure out something better than that. Um, but I think we're going to figure out a way forward. Good. I like it. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Um, I think we're going to get you out of here, man. I just, I just want to, Man, this was so good. And like I said, if you're listening to Defund the Church, I'm Frank here with Pastor Justin of the Blonde Collective. You can listen to this or any episode on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and all other major podcast platforms. We have with us author, activist, and Christian, Bridget Eileen Rivera. It's been a pleasure. Again, uh, before we get you out of here, let the listeners know how they can you know, pre-order your book and anything else that you want to share with them. Yeah, you can pre-order my book on Amazon. It's Heavy Burdens, Seven Ways LGBTQ Christians Experience Harm in the Church. You can also download the introduction um, at my blog, meditationsofatravelingnun.com. And you can follow me on social media. My handle is Traveling Nun. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you, Bridget. Uh, Eileen Rivera, it's been a pleasure. Uh, for Pastor Justin, I'm Frank. We love you guys. We thank you for listening. We'll see you very soon on another episode of Defund the Church. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please subscribe and iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and other major podcast platforms. And also, don't forget to visit defundthechurch.com where you can find news and information on how to support this movement and rebuild the kingdom. Thank you.